Very good evening. Now, several activist groups in Cape Town have threatened to dismantle statues of colonial figures if the South African government does not act itself to remove them. This follows a wave of protests in the United States and Europe in the last few weeks, during which statues memorializing Figures involved in slavery and colonialism have been removed. Just this week, Oriel College at uh, the Oxford University had voted to remove a statue of Cecil John Rhodes from its campus in uh, Belgium. Um, statues of King Louisport, uh, who, who reigned, who, who reigned over genocide in what is now modern day Congo has also been removed this more as a precaution. And here in South Africa, the topic of statues and places of memorialization rears its head again following, uh, 2015's, uh, Roads Must Fall movement where students mainly and protesters lobbied successfully to first get the statue boxed up and then after a few weeks taken to a place of what UCT says was a place of safety still still to determine where where, where they would put it in terms of a contextualized space in and around the city of Cape Town uh, uh uh, Tukulu Manku Nkasela is the member of the Black People's Crisis Committee joining me now on the line. Tukulu Manku, thanks so much for coming on here with us. Thank you, Lester, for having me. Uh, you were outside the, um, the, the, the Houses of Parliament on Thursday, or was it Wednesday, um, trying to gather some support uh, uh, to remove particularly the uh, Louis Boerta statue. There was a few of you. The question is, if you are that adamant for the statue to be removed, why not get a couple of chains and a two-liter bucky? That's what we've seen in other areas uh, around the world where Confederate statues are falling left, uh, right, and center. Well, I mean, um, by the time we got there, there was already an entourage of SAPS that was already waiting for us. You know, and we could not even move an inch. And that's how, like, the police literally closed in on us at the very moment we got there without having said anything. There was one of our members that was manhandled. They hadn't done anything. So already when we got there, we were welcomed by violence by the police. Would you prefer that uh, statues are dismantled by by the people, by the public, or would you wait for a government action to first consult as governments do consult reach a consensus develop a policy and then remove it this could take weeks months if not years i know that in 2015 the arts and culture minister said that he was going to do a broad consultancy process of uh, what to do with with relics like statues have you heard anything about that report that he was going to get uh, and, and, and base a decision on I mean, um, at this point, ideally, we would like the government to take the plunge and remove all of these monuments, because at the end of the day, it is the job of the Minister of um, Arts and Culture to do that. But then at the same time, we know how our government is in South Africa, and we have roads must fall to learn from. And so I think at this point, the only other choice that we'll be left with will be to tear down the statues ourselves as black people of this country. Why has it taken a five-year gap for this this drive, this project, 
to now reach this stage again after the success of a long fought, not only uh, lobbying, but also protesting by mainly students of UCT to remove um, Cecil John Rhodes. Why has it taken so long for this this conversation to come up again? Is it based on what particularly young people are seeing happening in places like the US and, and the UK? I mean, Lester, um, with every revolution, you know, um, there's like boiling points and then there's, you know, the calm after the storm. And I think for South Africa particularly, the five years was the calm after the storm because it is not like the youth were not having these conversations. We're still driving conversations about the decolonization of the country, the decolonization of our curriculum and decolonization of Africa itself. You know, so it was not much of just being quiet, but it was some sort of storm brewing that now people see. And obviously people need the proper amount of stimulus in order for them to be to be able to act. So even though these conversations were going on and were still happening, even though they were not in the in the in the public eye, but they were still happening. And so what happened then was that with all of that's going on right now all around the world, that was stimulus enough to then start all over again and, and, and for it to blow up and for us to get to boiling point of the revolution again. A message into our WhatsApp line, 0725671567. What do these kids have against these statues? Move on. I pose that question directly to you, uh, Tulumanku. I mean, um, monuments, iconography, statues, they represent power relations. They represent honor honoring someone they represent celebrating someone they represent glorifying someone and ultimately all these symbols then means that we are glorifying and we are celebrating and honoring these people and it shows clearly what the power relations in south africa are and ultimately we want these statues to fall and be taken down and destroyed and then in a symbolic way of um, the work that we do to destroy the remnants of apartheid and to destroy the remnants of colonialism. So it's not just a lifeless statue that's there, that's in the past, that does nothing. There's still a lot that it does psychologically. And the fact that these statues are here at our faces. Take, for example, the Louis Bosa statue in front of Parliament. It's in front, it's in front of a house that supposedly fights for the rights of black people, majority of this country, right? It, it stands for that. But then there's this statue of this man who was basically a mercenary because millions of people's, um, of people's lives who are black South Africans, they, their blood are on, their hand, are on his hands. And so it can't be then that we still glorify these people and they literally mm. in our faces the entire time. It is traumatic for us to keep on walking around with this glorification of these people. It is traumatic for us to see our country honoring people whom we call criminals um, against humanity, you know, because apartheid itself was a crime against humanity. Colonialism disrupted the history of Africa and was a crime in itself. And so we cannot continue to celebrate those crimes and those atrocities and the people responsible for those atrocities. How would you feel if literally someone would have the face of a person that killed your father in front of you the entire time and they were celebrating this person. It is equivalent to that, if not more. You were talking about having the power to change. The people who have the power to change and to review statues, monuments, places of uh, remembrance and memorial, 
are the people who are in government. They can, yeah. by developing a policy or law, um, remove certain statues. They are, they are laws, acts, um, developed around places of memorial and, 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 and heritage. The ANC government could do it, literally in the space of weeks, months, in getting legislation developed, passed through parliament. And there you go. Why do you think it's taken 25 years to have, 26 years rather, why has it taken 26 years for this conversation to come up? I think for me, Lester, and for us at BPNCC, it takes sheer political will and um, political capability to want to do something and to be able to do something like that, you know. And like I said before, when we started this conversation, we can't really depend on our government for anything. It has, it has been proven to us over and over again. And if the ANC government had the political will to remove this psychological trauma that is constantly in our eyes, they would have done that. But they lack sheer political will and political commitment. And that is why 26 years later, after our supposed democracy, we still have people who committed crimes against humanity, the very humans of this country, and they're still being glorified. And their statues on top of that are still being protected by state resources. And those state resources are supposed to be used to better the lives of the people in this country. But no, they're used to protect the establishment of colonialism and they're used to protect the establishment of apartheid. And it is wrong. And it proves just how much the ANC has no sheer political will and commitment towards the black and poor South Africans. Going to read you a statement here from the Department of Sports, Arts and Culture in response to uh, your protest earlier this week. It says uh, uh, they've already been movements to move certain figures, statues to less prominent spaces. I'm going to read out here. These include the removal okay. of the Favut statues at Parliament in Cape Town and the Free State Legislature. Bust of B.J. Forster was removed in 1997 from the Jobo Police Headquarters. That bust was placed in the SA Police Museum. Uh, a bust of C.R. Swat in 2000 yeah. from the Durban Police Headquarters. That was moved. A heavy bust of uh, Stradum in 2003. And an imposing a bust of Paul Kruger from the entrance of the Kruger Park has already been moved to a less prominent position. You can't say that there hasn't been work done to to try and 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 remove or or place certain you know figures of remembrance in more contextualized spaces. Um, my thing, Lester, is that now they're saying that they have moved. It's only a handful of statues, firstly, that they have moved. Whilst we have a lot of monuments across the country with the faces of these people, right? And another thing that I want you to note is the fact that they moved them from the supposedly prominent places to less prominent places. And so now they're just shifting the problem. We're not saying just move their statues so that they're not in front of our faces. Because by moving them and putting them in less prominent places where people can't see them but they're still protected, means that you're still protecting the legacies of apartheid. You're still protecting the legacies of colonialism. Destroy the statues. And if you're saying that you're making plans to have them moved, make those plans public. So that Africa is a state that is governed by a policy of transparency. And so 
the Ministry of Arts and Culture should be transparent in making their plans public to move these monuments and to destroy these monuments. And even the destroying of these monuments should be made public, not moved to less prominent places, because they're still being preserved and protected. I, I don't buy the argument from some proponents who say removing statues erases history. Of course, there's verbal history, there's written history that you can take, that you can note from and remember from. So you don't necessarily need, uh, need, need statues and memorials and, spa- and squares named after certain people to, to remind us of our history. But certain points, certain focal points, statues, memorials, had been allowed in what was seen as a broader gesture of reconciliation, a broader gesture of um, we'll leave you with something. How do you see this 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 conversation going when we talk about a the broader issue of social cohesion, of social understanding, of acknowledging as many people, if not all people's backgrounds in South Africa? Okay, yes, sir. <laughs> I, I like the question that you're asking. But um, what I want us to consider is the fact that we are not at all removing the history of anyone or destroying the history of anyone. And in actual fact, we have places like the Operate Museum, we have places like the Izigo Slave Lodge just in Cape Town, we have places like the Castle of Good Hope. And these places are rich in history in terms of how apartheid came to be, how we came to be as South Africa to be colonized and stuff like that. And so we are in no way trying to erase anyone's history or depriving anyone of any chance to actually be able to learn um, through the history and, and stuff like that. But even with those monuments that were left alone as a, as a kind gesture, listen, um, the atrocities that were committed towards black bodies by the apartheid regime and by um, coloniality are irreconcilable. There is no way. Like, literally, leaving a statue up there is not, not going to make me forget, you know, um, also as, as a young black South African. It, it is not going to counsel me and, and therapeutize me into making sure that I am okay and into making sure that in a country that sees me as violent and in a country as a young woman where my body is seen as a site of violence, I, I am okay and I'm, I'm, therapy, I'm therapeutized. You know, and I'm fine now. And so it is important that as people will look at situations holistically. If, for example, Karen wants to learn about apartheid and how it all started and all of that and learn about her ancestors and stuff like that, they can go to the apartheid museum. They can go to the fortress we call Castle of Good Hope that is rich in history. They can go to the Eastern Slave Lodge and they will learn about how our forefathers died died there because there was a point in time where they were fed raw seal and raw rice and they died whilst working for slave masters you know and so we're not erasing anyone's history and in actual fact we are not erasing anyone from history but we're simply moving the power balance because right now the scale is tipped Mm. towards where it's not supposed to be tipped which is towards apartheid um statement and it is wrong. Mm. The power is supposed to be coming back to the hands of South Africans. Any sort of um, redistribution, (laughs) yes, and restoration should be happening towards black people. 
You know, we can't speak of reconciling and being reconcilable where people still don't know what happened to their brothers and what happened to their sisters, what happened to their families. You know, we can't speak of being truthful and having a reconciliation where these people who hurt us continue to hurt us and their statues being there is another thing that perpetuates the hurt and the hate. And it makes you see that as a black person, as a young black person, no matter how much I may work to try and shift the power, but it is not going to shift because it is cast in stone, a stone that's in front of parliament, of a racist and a criminal. A message here from Anthony on the WhatsApp line says, Hi, I'm so sick of the same old story. It's just a stone statue. No one glorifies it for heaven's sake. Uh, just get on with your lives. Your response to that? I mean, <laughs> I mean, like I said, people look at it and they, they just see a stone. But again, the importance of iconography and symbols, you know, it is important. You cannot have a stone of someone who killed people and who's responsible for the death of many people. And then you have it there and you're like, no, it's just a piece of stone. Let me give you an example, a positive example for a change. There is the monument of Renaissance in Senegal, just as you get off the airport. And it's taller, apparently. It's taller than Christ the Redeemer in, in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. And this monument, President Tabombeki contributed in it. And this monument stands for the fact that Africa will rise and will will self-sustain at any point. When people get off the airport, they just just see this monument of this woman and this man carrying their child, pointing towards the sea. And it is also, you know, (laughs) a very, also a very monumental thing because they told, they're pointing towards the door of no return where slaves Mm. were put into ships when they were being taken to the Americas. And people see no symbolism at all for this. But if you study the importance of iconography and symbolism, then you see the significance of these monuments. You see the significance of the monuments like the African Renaissance Monument. You see the significance of having Louis Bosa in front of parliament being called a warrior, being called a statesman. You see the impact and you see how these things can distort the narrative mm. because people think that Louis Bota is a warrior. People think that Louis Bota was an honest statesman. But people forget that the beginning of apartheid, he contributed to that. Is to the way is... that things are in the country right now, poverty, mm. unemployment, apartheid contributed to that. And that means he contributed mm. to the kind of situation that we have right now. So these statues are not just lifeless stone they actually mean something and represent something and that's something that's exerted on us as black people every day and we supposedly cannot have a say about it because it's just stone it is not should we also be having a conversation about how do we take how do we go further um the the images the legacies of people change around africa i've seen um statues of mahatma gandhi go now because of coming more to light um mahatma gandhi's racist attitudes um mm-hmm. many other people coming to the fore and their legacies may not be as perfect as we may be led to believe is there space for the the uh, the uh, on the the honoring of living of human beings because no one's perfect everyone has a legacy or a part of their legacy that they may not be proud of is it worthwhile at all 
to have statues, sites of memorial, public spaces named after people when in 50, 60, 70 years, stuff could come to light about them not having the most impeccable past that we have put their faith in, our faith in them. I mean, okay, so as people, as a person, right, just now talking as people, Lester, we all have our values and we all have our principles that we follow. That is our life philosophy. Each person has that, right? And each and every person who is a leader also has that. They have their convictions and let's say for argument's sake, it's convictions that we agree with and we think that they, they're moving towards what we want and they're moving towards justice for everyone and everyone being equal and all the nice things, right? That's a leader. Mm. And then you have another leader who has his convictions, but his convictions go totally against every fiber of what we're trying to fight for, equality. You get people who thought that black people aren't clever enough. Black people are only good enough to work underneath the mines. Black people are only good enough to just be workers. Black um, young people are not good enough to be studying sciences and maths. You know, those kind of principles and philosophies that they had. And so there's a difference between someone having principles and then they slip, right? Mm. And I'm not justifying Gandhi in saying that he slipped. He was a racist. And, and so people deserve to confront that. And it, is, and it should be a fully-fledged nuanced con, um, conversation as to why we're challenging this, you know? Um, and so people slip all the time. We're not perfect, like mm. you said. But then there's a difference between slipping and it being your life philosophy. Mm. So I'm, I'm pretty sure Louis Bossa or Hendrik Servut was not slipping in mm. his convictions of racism and in his convictions of white supremacy. That was his life philosophy. In actual fact, he architectured the whole entire apartheid regime and era around that. That was a conviction, not just a mere slip. And so we should not confuse the two. People slip, yes, because we're not perfect. But people at the same time have convictions which are their life philosophy. And so we need to then interrogate those life philosophies as much as we will interrogate the, the, the slipping. And so we can't then now try and vilify everyone and say, what's the point of having monuments or whatever, whatever, or maybe having an issue with people taking down Mahatma, Mahatma Gandhi's statue, even though he had these ideas that were amazing and that were his life philosophy. But in an era right now where we feel that as black people, we have been unable to breathe for the longest time. We have been oppressed for the longest time and we haven't been able to speak. Mm. And it is our time for us to be heard now. Then if Mahatma Gandhi does not fall onto that, then by all means, people should interrogate that. Mm. Kulumanku Nkasela, she speaks for the Black People's Crisis Committee. Thank you so much for joining us. Tonight with Lester Kivett on Cape Talk. After the break, seeing that it's Father's Day, we pray, play, replay you our great interviews that we had with Rob Van Feeren and Lukman Adams, looking at the role of themselves in fatherhood, also looking at the positive male role models in their lives. We'll be back after this. <laughs> 